Hello guys and welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. My name is Lelo B and I have so, so much to miss being on here with you guys. I hope you're doing well, that you're keeping safe and most importantly that you're taking good care of your emotional well-being because that's been one of the things that I've struggled a bit with uh, during this period. You know, just not feeling inspired, not wanting to talk to people and not wanting to do anything in, at all but just to lie in bed all day. Um, but then you log on to social media and everyone has their life together. They're doing challenges, they're wearing makeup, they're looking pretty. And I'm just sitting here like, Batung, where are you all finding this energy from? You know? So, yeah, guys, I, I think our beloved social media can be hard at times. And I was actually surprised to also hear from a friend of mine telling me she was feeling the same. Uh, and another lady tweeted me to say that she... Uh, like social media made her feel like an underachiever. So I think if you are able to, it's always, you know, a great idea just to take a break from the socials, just tune out and so you can listen to your feelings and be in a good space when you go back. So uh, for those of you who aren't listening from South Africa, our government has broken our lockdown into levels, which, with the highest being level five. And from the 1st of May, we'll be on level four, which uh, sees some industries going back to work, um, even though it's gradual. And um, other sectors that were like previously restricted now opening up again. And uh, now this is like causing quite the conversation out there because some people are asking why are we even considering easing lockdown conditions and regulations are when infection rates are going up. So some are arguing that our leaders are prioritizing the economy over the health of our people. Uh, it's really confusing. And, and I think what I can say personally is that I've been comfortable with the way, you know, the South African government have handled this situation so far. No one has the perfect recipe, guys, or the perfect script for what's best to do in each of these countries. So they are doing the best that they can. They're getting advice and guidance from scientists and from different types of experts. So, yes, though they aren't perfect, I mean, we have it better than countries such as the USA, which deems itself to be the best in most things, which of course is highly debatable. The one thing though that, uh, <laughs> that seems to shock non-South Africans about our lockdown is that yes, even on level four, we aren't allowed to buy any alcohol during this time. So we are both in lockdown and in rehab at the same time. Now I'm stressing button because I'm only left with one bottle of wine. So. Hopefully I survive it. <laughs> anyway, I would love to hear from you guys, my fellow travelers, and find out from you how are you dealing, you know, with the fact that it's going to take very long for us to be able to get on the road again to travel and see the world. Um, there's, you know, currently a lot of devastation in the travel and tourism industry with airlines uh, literally parked um hotels are suffering they're not getting any bookings whatsoever and i've been seeing some have been uh doing you know book now and then you can uh you know to 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 stay later on even some 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 airlines doing the same thing um so i've been i've been even wondering like you know booking agents what are they what are they 
travel booking agents, I mean, what are they busy doing at the moment and how is the industry going to, to recover? So on this week, um, uh, episode, I'm chatting to Ogaga Ujo, who's the managing director of ZA Logics. Ogaga has years of experience in the commercial aviation sector. So talking to him was very interesting for me because he gave a lot of insights into what he thinks will change when the world opens up again for, for global travel. Uh, so please, I hope you will enjoy my conversation with him. But before that conversation, I'd like to ask you guys to please just take a few minutes, if you haven't yet, to reply to the listener survey that I've put out. I've been getting great feedback from you guys so far, both positive and negative, <laughs> but it's all much appreciated. So you can find the link on the Chica Travel social media as well as my social media. I've also added a link to the to the show notes where I put a description of what the episode is about. So you should be able to just click from there. So finally, here's my conversation with Ogaga. And I'm um, sorry, guys, when I listened, I actually realized that I'm loud or screaming. So please pardon me. You know, this whole thing of recording virtually is new and i will get it right i promise i hope you do enjoy the episode in any case so here we go hello ogaga welcome to the chiga travel podcast thank you so much so happy to be on yes finally because you are one of Actually, I need to tell a, a, a funny story about you. When I was in Thailand, <laughs> you know, people, you know, rich people. Ogaga is one of those rich people, guys. When I was in okay. Thailand last year <laughs> on the Chica trip, Ogaga sent me a DM on Instagram, and he's like, "I don't know where you were supposed to go. You are canceling that. You are booking a trip to to Thailand, just like that." Ogaga. No way. Context. I was planning to travel but I wouldn't be lost on it. And then I was going to go to another destination that I've been to before, which is Zanzibar. Then I was like, you know what? I've actually never done Thailand and your pictures are getting almost in my soul. So I need to go there. (laughs) So when you did get there though, how was your experience of Thailand? And you you just did Phuket? uh, Yes, I did Phuket. Um, It was really interesting because I've never been, right? So I've done quite a bit of Asia, but I haven't been to Thailand. And it's one of those destinations that you're like, oh, you know, South Africans, you go all the time. I'm sure it's always accessible. Then I said, you know what, let me actually do this thing, um, which was great. And I just did Phuket. And I went by myself. Um, And for me personally, there was quite a bit of change. I just left my, you know, corporate life. um, And I was, you know, moving on to entrepreneurship full time. So I needed a bit of you know, a break in between all of that change. And yeah. fantastic. And I got to go back to my old stomping ground um, in Doha. So I stayed over in Doha uh, because I used to live there actually. And that was just a, just a great full circle moment, you know, traveling with my former employer, starting a new chapter, going to a new destination. It would really be great. Really, really Who's the former employer you're traveling with? Qatar Airways. Oh, and you said when you got to Doha, it was, uh, it was, it was a lot had changed. There was a lot more development. Um, so much, so much had changed because I mean, it's always been a very, you know, city on the move. The skyline was changing all the time, even when I used to be there. But just to see whole new mini cities, I think that for me was just mind blowing. Um, they've actually physically expanded and not just going up into the sky, but they physically expanded. And that was just, it was fascinating and it's inspiring, you know, and I hope that we can get to that level of development soon. 
Okay. So, so Ogaka, where did you, where did you grow up? Just a bit about you. I want to, I want to go back to where your first trip, before you tell us about your, your crazy love for travel, which I've seen. Um, wh- where did you grow up and what was that like? So I'm Nigerian born, um, but I never lived in Nigeria. I grew up in South Africa and specifically in Pretoria. Um, so for me, um, having my immediate family in Pretoria, that for me is home. And that's what I recall as home. But, you know, we would go to Nigeria to visit extended family. Not very often, but we would go. And my first memories of travel are really those trips, you know, getting on an SAA flight, um, going to Lagos. And I just distinctly remember the excitement of just being in this massive machine and um, landing in Lagos. And you get hit with two things, humidity and the smell of jet fuel. And to this day, those like smells and experiences, it just triggers a lot of things for me, a very positive memory. So my first travel memory was really family oriented. Yeah. You know, I'd go and visit my grandparents on my dad's side and um, ex- extended family as many could see them. So yeah, that's my special connection to, to travel, my first memory. And aviation, I think. I think it kind of planted some sort of seed um, that would come to life many years later. Do you remember how old you were when, when your first memory of being in, in, in an aircraft? Do you, do you remember no. how old? <laughs> I think I would, I would probably say I was six or seven. Uh-huh. I definitely remember that trip. Um, yes, I remember that trip quite well. Uh, but I just remember like a lot of travel because my dad's side of the family are not from Lagos. So it's a mission to get to like where they are. Mm-hmm. So you don't just land there, then you have to like drive. And you know, as a kid, it just feels like you're on the road for hours. I know. <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> Those are my very distinct memories. And also just because of so many hours of travel in, in, on, you know, in, on, in a car, to actually see like, it's, it's a very rainforest type of area. And just to see all of that greenery and, you know, palm trees and all of those things, that for me was quite, um, that was quite interesting. And I remember that as a child, yeah. And then um, your, your, so then your first trip as an adult where you're like, okay, not really, maybe as an adult, maybe you're 18, I don't know, where you're like, okay, I'm booking this holiday, I'm going wherever, whether it was with a friend or whatever. What was the first trip? So that would probably be in my second year of varsity. Um, my best friend at the time was from Portugal and she invited us to me and a couple of friends to like come through. But I'd never been, you know, on a trip by myself. I'd never been to Europe. All of these firsts. Um, so we, I remember we scrapped funds together. We flew on Egypt Air because it was dirty. And we went to Lisbon for, I think, probably like six weeks. What? Um, it was really Insane. And we were so lucky because we stayed with her, so you know we didn't pay for accommodation. Mm. But you know, we hustled. It was a proper like hustling student trip. And I had a lot of first experiences there, which was just mind-blowing. I love culture, so I love museums, I love art galleries, um, I love the whole food experience. So that was great. We got to try the party scene here and there. And just to be in a completely different world, I think that for me was just it was actually life-changing. I loved that trip. And because I was with a local, it felt a lot more, um, I didn't feel like a tourist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we would go to the local supermarkets to, you know, buy food and we'd do, you know, we'd use, um, you know, the metro and taxi and, 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 and. 
Um, I didn't really do the touristy stuff, so that for me was very authentic. It was great. Yeah, I think I think it's always best when you have a local to show you around, because then you really get that authentic experience. But have you gone back since? I haven't actually. Um, I've been to Europe many, many times afterwards, uh, mostly for work. Um, but I haven't been to Portugal yet, and I would love to go and just see how you know what it's like and and reestablish some connections there. But Europe, I've, I think I've. Europe is probably the region I've traveled to the most. So the most. <laughs> I think it's the region I'm, I'm obsessed with the most. <laughs> but I haven't yet traveled it as much as, I, as, as much as you and Mish have, have traveled. <laughs> so, Mish, but Yeah, no, Mish is on another level. So if I asked you then, like, which one of the places, the many places and the many holidays that you've had was the best, um, just looking back? I know it's very difficult because I can't even tell you which one was my best, but I'm, here I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm actually going to say it was three, ne? Mm-hmm. So okay, three. that's fine. <laughs> so, um, I would say Maldives, Vietnam, and actually this year, Diani in Kenya. And I'll give reasons why. So the Maldives, the first time I went, it was actually for work, funny enough. So I was working for Qatar Airways. And yeah, I thought it was a, it was a romantic getaway. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I went to Maldives very randomly. Um, and just a bit of my travel background, like, I normally do very long journeys for very sh- a short amount of time. So I'm not someone that spends a lot of time in a destination. Maldives was no different. I think I was there for 48 hours, but it was mind-blowing. I went for work, um, and then when my work finished, I, you know, I had a day to myself. And it's just such a beautiful destination. And I love the ocean. I love the beach. It was just so beautiful, and it just felt so far away. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I went back, you know, personally, um, probably a few months afterwards, which was great. Um, and then Vietnam, I went with a friend who... We also lived uh, together in, in Doha, and she's South African, actually, she's from Cape Town. And she was just like, we need to do something different. Let's just go to Vietnam. I'm like, where is that on the map? Asia, <laughs> <laughs> Like, wait, you know, how close is it to Thailand or China? And we went to Vietnam, I knew nothing about it. And we stayed in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, and I literally ate and drank my way through a city. It oh, was wow. amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think it's just such an interesting destination because they've got this like, you know, original history and then there's a French colonial history and then there's a new Asian history. It, it was just such a melting pot. Um, ironically, the best like brunch I had, what we would call brunch, was in Vietnam. Wow. Um, the best coffee I've ever had was in Vietnam. Um, but then coffee. Don't tell me about that egg coffee thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. Okay. Cool destination. I mean, the hotel we set up was stunning. Getting around was easy. It was soft on the rent, which was great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the food and the attention to the attention to detail in food experiences. Even though, like, you go to a very high end restaurant and you go to a, a more street type restaurant, the attention to detail when it comes to the food experience is just amazing. So I would definitely go back again. Um, and I'm a bit embarrassed because I've heard the really great museums there. I did not enter one. I was going to restaurants and bars. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to... <laughs> we'll go back again and do the museums later. Eh? 
Soon later, yeah. And then my final one in terms of my best trip, I would say, was this year. So I turned 30 this year. Yeah. And um, I went on a friend trip to Kenya. And I've been to Kenya a couple of times as well, but I've never done, you know, the, the coastal area. Yeah. So, you know, leading up to the 30th, it's the stress. What am I going to do? It needs to be significant. And then a few weeks before, I just messaged a friend and like, guys, I, I've just booked my flights and I've booked my comedy. Like, can you join? And yeah, my friends came through, which is great. Wow. Um, one of my friends, she was on a comment at the time, so she was living in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And then two friends, we flew together. So it was just an awesome experience. Um, I wish I went for longer. I probably, I think I went for about three days and everyone else went for a bit longer, but it was absolutely amazing. Very lazy holiday, but, you know, lazy good. Got, getting to reconnect in a new country with, you know, your close people. Um, getting to experience just that amazing Kenyan hospitality. Mm. It was, oh man, I, I think I think I saw your images from Diani and I had so much FOMO because <laughs> I'm so obsessed with Kenya. And I think a couple of, I think maybe a month or a couple of weeks after your trip, then we went to, to Lamu. But yeah. I still, I still feel like I want to go to Diani to experience it. But uh, you know, I want to go to Diani to experience it. But I also have that thing of no, but you can't just keep going back to Kenya. Go to other places as well, <laughs> like Vietnam. You know, like yeah. Vietnam, which you're talking about now. So yeah, was, exactly. I love that, but I always want to go back and you know multiple times. But then I'm like, okay, let me try and do something different. Yes. Was was then Diani your last uh, trip before COVID? <laughs> Yeah, before with Coco. <laughs> I Coco B. Yo! <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on 36 countries in terms mm-hmm. of my tally. So my, my goal for this year was let me get to 40. I have to get to 40. Yeah. And it's certain plans, and yeah, no, I just got shown flames. So. The, the, the plans have now been changed. <laughs> Yeah. So when when you count the, the countries, because this is something that I actually asked, I think I asked someone, I can't remember who on the podcast. When you count the countries that you've been to, you don't count the airports, right? Because you're just connecting there at the airport. <laughs> that is that is, you know, creative accounting. No. <laughs> countries that you've actually been to and you've actually experienced. And for me, it's it's even like I'm gonna spend a night. That's how I count mm. because I'm connected into many countries and I haven't stepped out. So yeah, I'm on 36. But because of you know the way I've travelled over the years, I go I I generally go to the same country more than once. So there are very few countries that I've been to only once. Yeah. Most countries I've been to, I mean like Germany for example, I've been to about five times. India a couple of times. Um, Austria I've been to once so yeah most of the countries I've been to multiple times multiple, multiple times so, so Ogaga you you, 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 all, you mentioned earlier that you've been like you've traveled a lot, a lot because of work and you mentioned Qatar and you also mentioned that you just recently started your own business I think last year uh, mm-hmm. and you are only turning 30 now so man you are like a to- you are an achiever I can I can just like you are that guy. So just t- tell us a bit about your background and what, what, what were you doing for Qatar and what was, what's your relationship with, um, your work relationship with travel, with the travel industry? But in my third year, what had happened was we got a guest lecturer from Emirates at the time. Mm-hmm. And I really knew nothing about airlines. And I don't remember what topic they were talking about, but I, I was just so, it kind of sparked something because 
here's a business person, um, but they're running airlines. And I didn't think about airlines that way as these fully-fledged businesses. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and I decided to then study further, do my honours. Um, I was also working part-time at the university. And because I had done quite well in my undergrad, when you have to do your research, um, generally students get to choose topics, but the university at the time, the policy was that, you know, we'll decide what the top students will be. Mm-hmm. Because basically they went out to business and said, you know, what research problems do you need solved? And they, you know, give those problems to, you know, the top students to, yeah. to do their work. Um, and that's actually how I fell into aviation. So it ended up being a research project on um, loyalty programs or, or, or loyalty affinity rather uh, between um, Mango and SAA from a low cost and full service carrier perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I just, you know, started with my, with my research work. And I then said, you know, if I'm going to spend all my effort doing this, I want something out of it. So I was very, very ambitious. Um, and as the year progressed, I became friendly with one of the executives and I said, look, I don't know anything about aviation, but I want an internship. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, okay, let's see how your work goes. So I, I really pushed and then I used one of our presentations to really, you know, have an interview in front of the class. Yeah. And I was really clear about what I wanted. I was like, I want to work in aviation and this I consider an interview. So here I was pitching in front of my whole class to wow. the practitioner. <laughs> And yeah, you know, by God's grace, it came through. Um, I was one of the first interns. It wasn't a formal program. Um, but what had happened was I was thrown in the deep end and I happened to work in what we call network planning, which is really the, it's like the core business strategy of any airline. The heart of an airline is a network planning team. And I was thrown in there um, and I just had to sink or swim. You know, it wasn't like a formal program where you have you know, mentors. And it wasn't like that at the time. Now it's learning there, hey? Learning. And it was tough, but it was great because very quickly I was able to learn. And in the network planning team, you learn everything about how an airline runs from a commercial finance and strategy perspective. Mm-hmm. And it was tough, but you know, got through the internship, then got a contract, then it got extended, then it became permanent and then and, and Yeah, then after some time, I decided to, I said to myself and I said, look, if you want to be in aviation, maybe expand your horizon into, you know, a market that is really, really doing exceptional stuff in the aviation space. Mm-hmm. Um, and randomly, I was like, oh, let me just apply. I know it's an airline that's doing well. Let me just apply for a job in this place called Qatar. Honestly, at the time, I could not point it out on the map. I will not be lying. <laughs> I will be lying to you if I said that. I could. And from there, um, I forgot about my application. I got contacted and I was like, okay, let me do this thing. I got through the first assessment. Then like, can you come to Doha? I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and then you eventually went to check where it is on the map. <laughs> As part of my like interview process, I was like, okay, this is really geographically. And yeah, I got flown out for an interview, um, stayed at a stunning hotel, and I was really mind blown. Like, wow, this is just another world. Was it and, a business um, flight? It wasn't a business class, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. And um, yeah, I, I happened to get the job. And yeah, I think within a month, I ended up packing and and moving to a country that I knew nothing about. Um, So that was interesting because, you know, one has to make a bold move. I was permanent at at SAA. I was doing really well. I was progressing. So, you know, most people I spoke to actually didn't support my decision because they're like, 
going where for what why like you you rise up and i just thought that i wanted to something in me said you need to expand your horizon and i i moved i knew no one i knew i knew no one there um and I, I think at the time, you know, working for SAA was the thing. It's exactly. SAA, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I ended up leaving. And again, I think from a professional perspective, I always tell people this is the best thing I could have done for myself because I was so intimidated. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, I'm coming with like my South African background and, you know, I'm, I'm confident. Then you walk into a global company where the animist right next to you has gone to Harvard undergrad. We've got people who've worked in airlines from all over the world, all these accents, you know, in my department with 26 nationalities. Oh yeah, when we went to like Cannes Film Festival, I was very intimidated. And imposter syndrome like set, it was, it was a real thing for me. And then I realized, I said, you know what, I beat hundreds of people to get this job. There's clearly some, something that I have to offer. And I just really started being my authentic self and delivering my work. Um, and that, you know, did very well for me to a point where my vice president at the time said, look, I don't know what South Africans are drinking, but we need more of you people here. And wow. I think that we had about like five other South Africans that were working in the department. Um, so it was a great experience for me. Um, my, my function was really to work with... Um, with engineers and designers in the fleet space. So I have a commercial background, but they wanted someone who was commercial to help develop the product for Qatar Airways. And if, if you know, know a little bit about Qatar Airways, they spend a lot of time on their product, five-star product, the best aircraft, the best technology. And I was kind of that commercial and research mind to support the work that engineers and designers were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fascinating because it was a, a, a bit of a different stream for me, but the skills that I, I, I had acquired within network planning really assisted with that. Um, and I just got to work on great projects. I worked on the introductory of the 380 to Qatar Airways, the first 380, mm-hmm. the first 350-900 um, and 1000. I worked on you know the retrofitting of the 777 aircraft. I also got to work on the Royal Family's aircraft uh, because at the time, um, there was a subsidiary that supported the royal fleet. Mm-hmm. And that was, again, just mind-blowing because you're working with these crazy budgets and these beautiful aircraft, and you have to kind of be that research mind that supports the work that's being done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me was fascinating. It was my first taste into the world of innovation and product development, especially coming from a more financial background. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for me was just uh, fascinating. And then as time progressed, I think my role felt very project specific because it was based on, very much based on the aircraft programs. Mm-hmm. And we you know when you delivered, you know, three new technology projects, aircraft, new aircraft are coming out every year. Mm-hmm. So I was missing home a little bit. I was feeling that, you know, what next for me? What next challenge? What can I do? Um, and then FAA actually reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, would you, things are a lot better. You know, would you like to come back? Yeah. And in a more senior position, and I had also registered to do my master's, um, my master of business leadership through UNISA's graduate school of business leadership. And I felt, okay, maybe all things are aligning for me to move back home. Um, so I moved back home. And then uh, I was at SAA for, I think... Now, after how many years in, 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 in Doha? So just under two years I spent in Doha. Okay. And a very jam-packed two years. Um, then I think in 2014, I moved back to South Africa. And 
I went into SAA and it was great. I mean, I just had such a great time. I was a lot more senior and I ended up, by the time I left, I ended up heading that department, mm-hmm. um, which was great because I, I got to deal with, you know, the shareholder, I got to deal with other, um, other uh, entities of government. I, I really got to be involved mm-hmm. in driving and developing the strategy for SAA. And that again was just a fantastic, um, it was a, a fantastic experience. And I could just feel, you know, with every role, you can just feel how your skills contribute to that role. Mm-hmm. And your learnings come in where you think they would. Um, and that was great um, for me. And then I think in 2017, I got approached by Comair. And, you know, Comair is a, they compete quite aggressively. Yes. And the CEO at the time had said, look, they don't have, although Com has been around for so long and done, you know, re, really well from a profitability perspective, they didn't have um, that specific division. The one that I had developed and led ended up leading it with the A. So we said, you know, would you be keen on joining us? Mm-hmm. And um, I really thought about it because it was a different type of company, a different culture, mm-hmm. but I'm very impatient and my feet get itchy. <laughs> so I said, you know, let me just take this challenge and let's, let's jump into it. Um, and that was great because it was so strange going into an airline that's 72 years old, but certain things uh, in other airlines, you know, weren't there. So in many respects, I got to build something from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my first role where I really got to build a team and a division mm-hmm. from scratch. Um, but also at the same time, you know, contributing to the company's uh, continuous performance. And that for me was, again, fantastic. Very tough role, um, but really great experience. Yeah. So is it, I think it's this role then that sparked this thing to say, actually, I can go and start my own thing. That's the thing. And just a bit of background. So in 2014, when I was like oh, moving from Doha back to SAA, I already started to see certain gaps from an African aviation perspective. So I was like, I will have my own business. And actually on my vision board at the time, I said by the time I'm 30, I'll be on my own business full time. Wow. Um, But then I actually started the business in 2014, but I wasn't spending much time on it to be honest. Um, And the nature of work that I did, I had to be very careful on conflicts of interest. So as I progressed and became more senior, there's really you know, little that I could do on the side, especially because it was the same entity. So I ended up not um, focusing too much time on the business, but I, I did a lot of planning. And when I got to my role at Comair, I think I knew that I wouldn't be there for probably more than two years. Mm. And ironically, to the date of two years was my last day. Um, and a year before I resigned, I actively said, look, I want to do this thing. And I need to start, you know, putting money away, I need to start um, rethinking the business, I need to start thinking about a pipeline. Um, and then in September, I decided to do it full-time. So the business has been around, but um, in terms of my full-time effort, it's only been since September last year. Yeah. Okay, so, so tell us about what, what do you guys do? Yeah, and um, basically we're an advisory company, um, and we really specialize in three fields. It's um, airline management consulting on both a corporate and commercial aviation level. Then there's a the tourism side, and then there's the general business side. So my efforts right now are really on the first two pillars, being tourism consulting and um, airline management consulting, which are two very broad fields in, in themselves. Why the tourism piece is because the tourism industry is a very wide and you know, complex industry, but aviation really drives a lot of it. Yeah. And what I've found over the years is that you know, 
people in the border tourism industry don't necessarily deal with people in the aviation industry because it's seen as separate. But actually, we are working towards the same goal in many respects. So I felt that there was a need to align things a lot better, especially from a government perspective, because government is creating policy to support um, air transport, general transport, and tourism. But you find that there's fragmentation in many countries in Africa on those two um, sectors, who are, which are actually complementary sectors in many respects. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, a lot of my time is spent on the airline management consulting side because that's where my skill set is at. And really, again, linked to my slogan, and a lot of people say, but your slogan sounds like Make America Great Again. Because <laughs> it's, making, it's, it's making Africa work. And you know, I've had some interesting conversations people to, for people to ask, like, what do you mean? I said, because African airlines are not working the way they need to work, and I need to make this work. So again, that's where my slogan comes from. But really, I, I was just tired of seeing airlines fail in the region and airlines relying on bailouts and airlines inefficient and airlines having you know, sketchy incidents when it comes to safety. Because we are the largest market as the African continent. We are the market that's going to drive the world together with Asia. And we need sustainable transport solutions. Yeah. And although my heart is in aviation, I'm very much about the integrated role that transport plays because I feel that at an at a economic level, um, access and economic access for a lot of people on this continent is taken away because they cannot physically move the way they need to move. Yeah. And at a philosophical level, I think transport um, and aviation specifically, there's a line that one of our associations use that says, aviation is a business of freedom. And I really su- su- subscribe to that because it gives us the freedom to interact with different cultures. It gives us the freedom to um, move and chart out our own careers in different countries. And it really gives us the freedom to do what we need to do. So at an economic level and a philosophical level, I believe in the power that transport uh, provides for connecting people. And that's really where my passion lies with, with Logic. So we, we, we give advice, we uh, design strategies, we do um, a lot of operational improvement, we do education, we do um, anything that deals with improving the transport and tourism infrastructure for wow. the continent. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting and, and something that, that we really need. And I, then given what you've just explained in terms of what you do, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on South African Airways right now. <laughs> I'm sure you knew this was coming. <laughs> I knew it always comes. Let me just take a sip of my tea. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'll also have a sip of my tea. <laughs> yeah, look, I think in all seriousness, um, I. Just recently, I was quoted in um, Yahoo Finance and Quotes Africa on the SAA matter. And I think there's a lot of context that is missed um, with the SAA discussion because SAA didn't get to this point overnight. Yeah. And there are a lot of factors. But I think a few things I want to say is that SAA, as it currently stands, cannot operate the way it's operating. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not efficient, which we all know. And that's due to a whole host of factors. And irrespective of the reasons, um, I don't think the country can afford for it to continue the way it it is. Mm -hmm. With that said, there is a significant amount of value within SAA and its subsidiaries, which people forget. There's SAA Airline, SAA Technical, which is the leading maintenance and repair organization in Africa, Mm -hmm. Um, Mango, and a host of 
um, companies such as Airshifts. And I think the business does need to be restructured. And I support the current process that is happening with the business rescue practitioners. Yeah. And I just hope that um, they are given the chance to do the work that they need to do. Because the, the point of business rescue and an inherent part of business rescue is that there is a reasonable prospect for the entity to be saved, even though it has to be restructured. And that I support. Um, value remains there, but not in its current format. Um, I just uh, hope, and I think we need to hold to account, actually, um, all of the various players that are involved in the SA work, because um, airlines should not be run by political uh, interference. Yeah. They need to run commercial businesses, because airlines in general, have very low margins of profitability. The global industry standard is anywhere from 4 to 6%. What? Um, that's, for, that's for even some of the best airlines in the world. That is a global average for profitability. Yeah. It's really important that airlines are given the mandate and the distance to run their business the way they need to run their business. Sure. But now, Ogaga, so there's that, 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 that point that you just mentioned about the profitability. And then mm-hmm. now there's this, uh, COVID that has now the, that has put a stop on all forms of of, of air travel. So, mm-hmm. what do you think? What are they thinking? What what are they talking about right now? What's the what's the the, the air travel industry talking about? What are they? I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm just. I mean, we are just people who travel who go from one point mm-hmm. to the other. For them, mm-hmm. it's how they make money. Yeah. And yeah. what do they? What are they? What are they going through right now? So it's, it's quite rough, um, I'll be honest with you. So, of course, I've been quite busy the last few weeks with this COVID matter, and we're updating analysis. We are um, engaging with stakeholders and clients, and we're trying to just listen and, and you know, also provide direction. So just let me just set the context from an aviation perspective. So the impact that COVID has had to date is more than... 9-11 and SARS combined. Oh my Just the, um, there is an expectation that the global aviation industry is going to lose 314 billion US dollars in revenue just for these few months. And that is 55% less than the full revenue that all airlines made for one year. Oh my gosh. Uh, another interesting fact as of 16th of April, there are 17,000 aircraft that are parked across 900 airports. And that represents about 65% of all of the aircraft in the world. And if you're looking at jobs in Africa, 3.1 million jobs are at risk. 6 billion revenue loss is expected um, amongst African airlines. And um, from a passenger demand perspective, 14 million passengers just in South Africa are expected less for the year. So South Africa actually has the highest projected negative impact due to COVID from an air transport and tourism perspective because of the size of our market. So the numbers are actually astronomical and they're changing week on week. Um, but with that said, I still think there's hope because as the aviation industry, we're so used to dealing with external shocks. You know, 9-11 changed how people have to travel. It changed a lot of safety and security requirements. It changed some physical elements of aircraft design. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we are getting used to now is the biosafety element because, for example, Ebola didn't impact us in South Africa. It impacted other countries. Yeah. Um, and the thing about COVID is that it's impacting everyone. It's just the difference is at, at, to which extent are you impacted. So I think that 
it's going to change fundamentally how as airline businesses we offer our services and products and it's also going to change passenger expectations so it's 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 a moving situation by the day um but it's certainly it's unprecedented we've never seen anything like this before but i do think that as aviation what we're used to is we're used to shocks and we will you know we'll bounce back from this although it'll be a very different world after covid yeah and 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 what do you think are some of the things that are going to change given what what covid has done now to 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 the entire world i guess what do you, what are some of the things that you think are going to change specifically for the aviation industry so i think i'll split this up in terms of as from providers and, and travelers right so from a from an airline perspective and a traveler perspective i mean an airline perspective rather i think we will now have to show um and we'll have to you know provide initiatives that show that airlines are safe right mm. so previously if you go on a only if you go on a business class flight will you actually get you know some sanitization right mm. um now it's a standard where you know we have to provide you know sanitizing material you know sometimes people want to see um, employees in, in ppe so just from a biosafety perspective airlines are going to have to include in their proposition mm. some a safe kind of sanitary elements be it distributing hand sanitizer be it distributing masks and you know if you compound this over hundreds of thousands of flights that's a significant cost um to airlines right yeah, and I'm just thinking about like, um, Ogaga, if if I'm if I'm flying now for the first time after this thing, I don't want to be sitting mm. on a seat where there's someone next to me and then there's da, da, da. so there's there's not there's not, there's not gonna be there's gonna be gonna have to be gaps between passengers and stuff. And you you raise such an interesting point because that's also what we're seeing as well. That initially, what we're predicting is that people are going to be traveling in smaller groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that then impacts very big airlines and it'll actually support much smaller airlines so if you think about it from a business and a a leisure travel perspective i think both segments are going to recover but it'll be different business will recover first because business has to run right and although we've got virtual conferencing and all of this there's certain industries that travel is required so business will bounce back and i think it'll be the first wave of travel that we see but it'll be different because it'll be only really essential traveling that's happening so corporate travel budgets we think are going to reduce which means that less employees will actually be able to travel Mm -hmm. that's the first thing Mm -hmm. and then on the leisure side um as much as people want to go and travel they will have this disposable income because this is an economic impact Mm -hmm. a very serious impact and when they do travel it's going, the expectation will be different. Um, it'll be, you know, what is this airline doing to protect me? Um, I'm not going to be swayed by cheap tickets. I want to know, you know, I want to feel confident in the travel that I'm embarking on. And I think from an aircraft design perspective, I'm already starting to see some things come through about in economy class, one company has already designed almost like a mini cocoon that has a, a, like, a, like a material that looks like plexiglass. So then it separates you from your, from your next door passenger. And if that becomes expectation, you know, what does that mean from a product perspective? Because you get that only in business and first class. Um, so it, the, 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 the straight answer is that there isn't one way that this will evolve because it also depends on the market that you're in, right? Um, African travel is very different to Asian travel, is very different to American travel. 
Um, here, for example, in, in Africa in general, we're quite spoiled if you compare it to the U.S. markets. In the U.S., for you to breathe on board, you have to pay an additional fee. <laughs> Whilst in South Africa, you know, you get a meal if you're flying to Cape Town, depending on which airline. So the, 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 customer, um, the customer proposition is very different in different markets. But I think overall, we will need to understand our markets a lot better. So that's why at Zerilogics, we've been putting it out there that data is becoming so important. You need to know who your customer is, what their preferences are, and how you can walk along with them in this post-COVID world because the expectations are going to be changing. And we, it's up to us as airline to now respond to that. But I think a very important element as I close off this point is that until there is a vaccine that is available and easily distributable to the masses, it is going to impact travel because people will want to stay away and not put themselves in risky environments if they, is, if they are not uh, immunized against COVID-19. So the, as an external factor, that's a very big one for us. So we are actually... Um, you know, the aviation industry is talking to, you know, World Health Organization and CDC to understand what is happening from a, uh, a, a vaccination perspective, because that is a big impact. If, for example, that's readily available, then things will move back a lot quicker. Emirates has been quite um, progressive in that they're the first airline to do rapid tests um, on board and prior you get onto your journey. And you'll, what you'll find, I think, is more... Um, more integration across industry. So Emirates being the massive plan that they have, it works in their favor to invest in a company maybe that's providing these kits or you know, doing research in this area because if they can get certain products to market a lot quicker, that'll help them in how they transport passengers and, and building travel confidence. So it's all about the confidence um, with travelers. And I think that's what airlines are going to have to respond to. Sure. That is so true. And you, you are right. It's not just going to be about cheap flights, but it's besides the fact that can, can you, as, as, as an airline, keep me safe throughout the trip? It's also an element of this destination that I'm going to. So I think even destination marketers also have a challenge. Like, how do you market your destination and, support, and, and guarantee the safety of people that you want to actually come and, and, and travel? My goodness, this is so hurtful. It hurts my, it, it breaks my heart. Are we ever going to travel this year? Do you think we're going to travel this year, Ogaga? <laughs> I want to go to Vietnam. Definitely. I think, I think we will. And, and also talking on the trends, I think that what's going to happen is we will start traveling domestically first because that's where the rules will be relaxed, right? So you'll find a lot of people doing more short lifts. And I'm, I'm actually happy about that because we need to experience our country. 100%. And I actually want to every, you know, local in their country to experience your country a lot more because firstly, it'll it'll be more comfortable to travel. And secondly, you'll be supporting all these businesses. And I think the next phase, especially in the African context, is we're going to be going to the region, like, okay, let's go to Mozambique, let's go to Namibia, before we now go into continental, because just from a risk perspective, it's a bit higher, right? And I think for me, in a way, that's quite a positive thing because philosophically, yeah. experience our land uh, a lot more because we'll be forced to. And I think that's a great thing. I'm, I know the travel will come back. It will just come back in a different format mm-hmm. and it'll come back more nuanced across different markets. But I'm looking forward to traveling domestically and regionally again, definitely. Yeah, you are so, so, so correct. That That is, I think, that is the 
that light, you know, that's shining at the end of this long dark yeah. tunnel that, you know, we get to actually get an opportunity, even though we somehow forced, but to actually go and explore the rest of South Africa. Cause we don't really, there's so much, I think there's so much to see. Cause I've actually been looking at all these places that I haven't been to. And there's just really, really a lot, a lot for us to see. So where, where's the, where's the, the first place you, let's say they open now, we can go anywhere in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the continent. Where yeah. do I, <laughs> Yo, oh, that's such a tough one. Um, You've been to oh Kenya, so Kenya's out of the way. <laughs> I've done it quite a bit. Um, I really want to go to Cape Verde. Cabo Verde is on, it's been on my bucket list for so many years, um, and it's just a place I, I have to go to. So if I could book a ticket tomorrow, it would be to Cape Verde. And um, just a kind it's like two hours away from Nigeria or, or Lagos. I don't know. Like just around yeah. that, that side, ne? So it's, it's, it's on, you know, the side of, of West Africa. Um, mm. It's an island nation made up of 10, you know, pieces. And, you know, from what I've read, like all of those different um, uh, mini islands have their own culture and their own people. And for me, it's just, I've read up so much about Cape Verde and I just, I really want to go there. I love any... Uh, place that has a mix of culture yeah. and just the history is a place that I, I, I somehow connect to it although I've never been and I, I want to get on a flight and get this okay I know your sister wants to go I definitely want to go and Mish yes. wants to go so here's a group trip coming Cape Verde is coming so. we have to do Cape Verde we have to do it yeah okay so um, I want to ask you something. One last question. You, firstly, I have to say thank you so much. I think your insights and what you've just shared now about, about you know, what's happening in the aviation industry really gave me, like, you know, a fresh perspective that I didn't have. And I think my listeners are really going to appreciate it. So in advance for them on their behalf, thank you. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Um, so you've already told me where you're going. Uh, first, first thing when, when, you know, when... It, it travel opens again but how are you taking care of yourself during this lockdown i know you're busy you know are consulting with your aviation clients and all of that but how are you taking care of yourself yeah that's so a good you question. are so alone so, like me <laughs> yeah, no, so i'm alone and also i do um better with asthma so for me the covid thing has been quite it's been it's been scary i won't lie um because you know, when you realize, goodness, I am maybe more at risk than other people, um, it, it just puts a certain perspective. So prior COVID, I was already, you know, uh, distancing myself and, you know, changing my patterns. And then when the lockdown happened, you know, you're forced to do it. Um, so I think mentally that takes a toll. So I, I love yoga and I do quite a bit of yoga because I think not just resting, but mental strength is important. Um, so I often, I meditate, I do yoga quite a bit because it just, it just lets you draw into yourself and, you know, dig deeper and, and just not let the world around you uh, stress you out. Um, so that's been important. I have, you know, felt I've, I'm taking more precaution. Um, I don't go to the shops. I use Zulzi, which is a great, great app, by the way. Um, whoever develops Zulzi, you're doing an excellent job. Um, because Zuzi, you know, you, you get to, do, um, you have the groceries delivered and 
you shop online and you know they communicate with you at the store and they don't have what you're looking for so that has been an absolute pleasure and i'm just so grateful that we have that option mm-hmm. um and yeah i'm just doing a lot of yoga doing a lot of work um trying to balance which isn't easy because you know everyone knows everyone is at home and people don't necessarily respect people's boundaries so you have to put the boundary right mm-hmm. um but yeah that's really what i'm doing to take care of myself and checking in with friends and family and you know doing the things that I love to do, um, that for me is great. Watching a lot of Netflix, I love documentaries, so I'm doing a few things to keep me, to take care of myself holistically, yeah. So what's the last documentary you watched? What is the last documentary I watched? Um, I've been seeing people talk about, is it, who's the, the, the basketball guy about... Um, Kobe. No, 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 not Kobe. I don't know, is it, is it, is it MJ? I think it's M- Michael... Michael Jordan, Michael, was it Jordan? No, Jordan is Africans. Jordan is the, the African guy who's a banker. <laughs> Michael Jordan. I think they've been talk, people have been talking about a documentary or something about him on Netflix. But anyway. I, so my last documentary um, is Mossad. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it's basically about the Israeli intelligence service. And it's just fascinating because I love, I love, you know, things about politics, intelligence, um international affairs stuff like that so i'm watching that we start on netflix um and i'm watching you know insecure of course as the episode comes out wait 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 wait. (laughs) on that insecure topic can we talk about isa and the security guy no i'm upset (laughs) what the hell Before you spoil it, I haven't watched episode two. I've just watched episode one. Episode one. Just an episode one. I don't know why people are hating. I'm a fan of the security guy. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, look for I think I think when you watch episode two, you will see why I'm asking about the security guy. But anyway. So, yeah. thank you so much, Ogaga. This has been so awesome. I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for all the, you know, the nuggets that you've dropped here. <laughs> Very informative. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for having me on your show. Okay, Ogaga. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We will catch up again next week. But in the meantime, if you listen on Apple, please leave a review and comment. It helps other people find the podcast as well if you do that. So I appreciate that very much. And also you can find us on social media at Chica Travel Pod, hashtag Chica Travel Pod. Until next week, goodbye.